Since September, we've been studying Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And and I want to connect this famous sermon to this well-known Christmas story. I want to connect Matthew 5 to Matthew 2 uh, this morning. So I want to begin by looking, if you turn with me to chapter 4, verse 17, this is really the opening statement of the Sermon on the Mount. This is the beginning of what he's going to say. He's drawing people towards himself. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he makes this incredible offer. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and we looked at that text several months ago now, but what we saw is that that offer means that, that every human being is hardwired for kingdom cravings. Everybody wants to live and is currently living in some kind of kingdom. The question isn't whether you're in a kingdom or not. The question is, which kingdom are you living in? And Jesus, the light of the world, comes into the world and says, everybody who's not in my kingdom is living in great darkness. But a light has come, and I'm unbelievably offering you a chance to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And all you have to do is turn around. You have to repent. You're, you're going in the wrong direction. You're, you're following a different king, as it were. And if you would turn towards me and follow after me, then you would enter into the kingdom of heaven. James Smith writes a book, You Are What You Love, and he says this, To be human is to desire some kingdom. See, that's everybody has a kingdom craving. It's a longing It's a vision of what we think society should look like. And then listen to how he says, this picture captures our imagination. So we have some idea of how your life is supposed to go, how how the world's supposed to operate. And then you live according to that. You orient your life according to that picture. We crave that picture, Smith says, and then we orient our lives in pursuit of that picture. The question is not whether you long for some version of the kingdom but which version you long for? See what he's saying? It's, it's, the question is, everybody, the answer is everybody's longing for some version. The question is, which version are you longing for? Which, which version are you living your life around? And then Jesus opens his Sermon on the Mount with this fantastic offer. Anyone, anyone who wants to live in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light, is that this kingdom door is open. And for Jesus and for, for us, it's a very serious offer. It's intended to be something that you wrap your whole life around. You and I are orienting our lives. We are wrapping our lives around something. So when Jesus offers an opportunity to be in the kingdom of heaven, it's not just, hey, welcome. It's welcome and wrap your whole life around me. And then he begins to tell you how to live that life. He does that through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But then if you go with me back to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, turn with me to chapter 7. Jesus doubles down on the seriousness of his offer. 
he, he puts those who have listened to the sermon uh, on notice. He, he puts them on the spot. If, if you had been somehow on that hillside that day and you had fallen asleep, he gets to the end and he, okay, wake up. This is a serious offer. It, so much is writing on it. I want you to make sure you're crystal clear what I'm talking about. And he couldn't have had made it more clear than with three consecutive pictures. And each picture, you notice, contains two options. First, chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So immediately we, we notice the options are limited. You are either trying to fit your life through a narrow gate and follow after Jesus or you're, you're going down some wide highway that has a wide gate, but it leads to destruction. But either way, there's just two gates. Verses 17, 16 and 17. You will recognize them, the people have chosen the wide gate or the narrow gate, by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Answer, No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So, so Jesus is saying, we're going to be able to find out which gate you've decided to go in by the fruit of your life. By just examining your life. Is it a life that you've, you've tried to get through that narrow gate? You, you're, you're, you're tracking with Jesus. Your life is wrapped around him. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Gentleness, self-control, those are the things, that's the fruit of your life. That doesn't get you into anything. That says, I am into something. And it's coming out of me. The, the character, the, the life of Jesus is pouring out of me. Or, you've chosen the wide way. It's usually wrapped around yourself. And that bears bad fruit. But either way, it's just two choices, good fruit or bad fruit. Chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall. See, the consequences are eternal. The, the choices are limited. It's one of two ways. We're going to be able to see it by, by one or two, one of two kinds of behaviors. And, and the consequences are eternal. Everyone here, every human being is a builder. You are constructing your life on some kind of foundation, Jesus is telling us. And the question is, what is that foundation? You're building one of two houses. Are you building it on the rock, Jesus Christ? Are you building it on something else, anything else, yourself, someone else? And it's quicksand. 
it will be found out to not be everlasting. So Jesus couldn't close the sermon with, with any greater clarity. There's two ways to live. Two, two gates to get through. Two roads to be on. Two kinds of fruit that your life produces. Two kinds of builders. Notice in verse 48, the very end of the sermon. And this is just after Jesus had said something or finished his last line. This is how, how Matthew wants to help us remember it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were, were astonished. Oh, man. This, this is a serious offer. Jesus is just telling me, hey, Paul, there's just one of two ways. There's only one of two kinds of fruit that you're bearing. There's only one of two kinds of foundations. And, and it's a serious, it's serious business which one that you choose. And the crowd had to be leaving that day thinking, which gate am I trying to get in? Which which road am I on? Which which kind of foundation am I building my my life on? So now I want us to turn back to, with that in mind, Matthew two, and this very famous Christmas story about the visit of these wise men who come and see Jesus. And what we're going to see here is that even though there are only two ways to live. This story tells us there are three different kinds of people. There's two ways to live, but there are three different kinds of people, especially as we see here in this particular story. There's those who oppose the king, those who worship the king, and those who ignore the king. So I want to just unpack each one of those, and then I'm going to just ask you to evaluate for yourself. Which life, which foundation are you building your life on? Which gate are you moving through? Which kind of person are you? First of all, those who oppose the king. Now, we can see this clearly. This is King Herod. Now, King Herod was one of the most wicked men in Israel. He's the ruler. He's the person who's the king. And he's uh, been set up by the Roman government. And when Jesus is born, he's living in Jerusalem. So when the Magi, when the wise men come or the Magi come, they come and ask Herod, well, where is this king? And so just, just a little background on Herod. Herod was very self-absorbed, very paranoid. And so, uh, one day he had his wife and his three sons killed because he thought they were after his throne. And nobody can be after King Herod's throne. He's the king. Nobody can be king except for King Herod. After he was inaugurated as king, as a gesture of peace, he invited all of his enemies to come to this party to say, hey, let's just smooth things over. Let's, let's try to be friends. And at the party, he killed all those people. So what a killer party. I mean, that's the definition of a killer party right there. I mean, how'd you like that? Show up and think, hey, we're going to be at peace with the king, and he, and he puts you to death. He, he was known to, to dress up, go out into the community so nobody would know him, and just get a feel for what people were saying about him. And if you said something bad, he would go back to his kingdom and send out the goon squad, and he'd put you to death. He was so unpopular that he was afraid no one would mourn his death. 
So he made sure there were a number of well-respected, well-liked men and women in Israel that the day, the moment he died, they were to be executed. So all of Israel would mourn at his death. Now, not because of him, obviously, but because of them. Fortunately, that order wasn't carried out. But, but Herod's biggest obstacle to Jesus is Herod. Herod has to be king. And he can't have any competitors. Notice in verse 1, it says, now after Jesus, no, verse, I'm sorry, uh, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of Herod the king. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews, the wise men ask. We've come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this. The emphasis on Herod's the king. And when he comes and when he hears that there's another king that's been born, he's, he's terrified. He's gripped with fear. And that's why he sends out his squad to put to death all the boys that are under two in Bethlehem. Why? There can never be a king except for Herod in Herod's life. Now you may look at Herod and say, <laughs> glad I'm not opposing the king. I mean, I, I, I don't have to be king like that. I don't operate that way. Well, what about Peter? Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers. He's following after Jesus, basically saying, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you say, whatever you're in for, I'm in for. I'm, I'm right there with you, Jesus. Until about halfway through the ministry, Jesus says, hey, you know what we're in for? Jerusalem and a crucifixion. And then Peter says, uh, I'm not in for that. And Jesus, that's, that's not the right way. You see what Peter is doing? You hear what he's saying? I've got to be king. I don't mind following Jesus as long as he's going the way I want to go. But as soon as Jesus takes a left-hand turn and I'd like to take a right-hand turn, I'm not going to take the left-hand turn with Jesus. That's still living as the king. If you just follow Jesus all the times he's going the way you want to go, but don't follow him when he's going in a different way, you still want to be king. And so Peter has to learn. It takes him a while to figure out he's not king. Herod never figures this out. Peter thankfully figures it out that someday he says, okay, you know what? I'm not the king. If you want to live in the kingdom of heaven, you cannot be king. If you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you're saying there's another king. And I'm going to follow that king wherever he goes, whatever he says, whatever impact it might have on my life, whatever choices he makes, I'm going to just trust those are the right choices. I'm not going to pick through the parts that I like and then just discard the parts that I don't like. One kind of person is a person who opposes Jesus being the king. And that kind of person is going down a wide road with many people going with them. That person is building their life on quicksand. That whether in this life or in the life to come, they're going to realize they don't have a foundation. Second 
kind of person we see, the main part of this passage is those who want to worship the king. That's obviously the wise men. Verse 2, this just announces the main part of the story. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? I don't know if that's a song in a children's play, but I have that in my mind. Where is the one who wants who was to be born king of the Jews? Why do they want to know it? They want to worship him. Here are people who want to worship Jesus. They're the, the wise men looking for the king in order to worship. Con- complete contrast from Herod. Now, now I hate to inform you this next little piece because it's going to bust up your nativity set. But, but we don't know how many kings there were. Oh. I mean, we say three. Why? Because there's three gifts, but we don't know. Probably the caravan from Persia was a lot greater than three guys on camels, which is what's in your mind. I'm I'm sorry, parents, you're going to have to deal with this when you get home. And another part is they didn't come to the stable and they didn't come on the day Jesus was born. Oh, so sorry. These men came months, maybe even a year later. Verse 11, they came to a house. They didn't come to a manger. But that doesn't mean they're not worth looking at. But we just have to understand there's a difference between the Bible and our common nativity set. I'm not saying go throw away the kings in your nativity set. You can just hear the air coming out of the balloon right now. But here's a few things that we learned that are important about this visit. Obviously, the primary importance is they've come to worship. That's the main part of the whole text. The smart people in the text worship Jesus. They don't need to be the king. They might have been kings, but they understand somebody else has arrived. And when that person has arrived, I'm willing to lay down my being the king. The, the word in the Greek is proskuno. It's two different words. And it's to, to pay Homage or to fall at someone's feet. You see it in verse 11. They, they come to the house and the first thing they do is they fell down and worshiped him. That's the idea. But, but the, the word kuno actually has a word picture that I think we're supposed to see. That word means dog. And the word picture is a master comes home and what does the dog do? comes to the master's feet. And wherever the the master goes, what does the dog do? Comes wherever you go, maybe irritatingly so. The dog is always around your feet. We had a little dog named Maddie. It was Morgan's dog. She sort of liked the rest of us. She loved Morgan. So if Morgan came home, no matter where Maddie was, racing to find Morgan, spend the whole time running around her feet. Wherever Morgan went, Maddie was sure to go. I think it was like Mary had a little lamb. That same idea. Always around her feet. Not, not questioning, are we going upstairs now? Are we going outside? Just I, wherever you're going, I'm going. That's where I'm going. That's the picture. See, it's a, it's a very humbling picture, especially if you want to be king. Kings don't want to be called a dog. Kings don't want to be at people's feet. 
But here the, the main purpose is for us to see that's the position of everyone who wants to be in the kingdom of heaven. There isn't another position. Everyone who comes into the kingdom of heaven is at the same place. There's not different levels. It's everyone comes to the cross and everybody's leveled at that place. Every, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So the best thing that we learn from these great men is that they're, they're willing to worship. They're willing to bow down. They're willing to let go of them being the king. I love the, quote on the front of the bulletin by J.C. Ryle, an old Puritan preacher from England. He says this, the wise men saw no miracles to convince them. They heard no wise words out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor woman, but they worshiped. No greater faith can be found in the whole volume of the Bible. By faith, they totally trusted that Jesus was the king. It's the same thing you and I have to do today. By faith, we have to trust that he's the king. Jesus is looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who are going to fall at his feet and follow wherever we go, wherever he goes. And if you need to be king, you can't be a worshiper. Second thing we notice from these men is that their worship is directly connected to their wallet. Now, this is important, period, but particularly since last week's sermon. Remember that? We talked about where your treasures are, there your heart is also. We see it displayed here in Matthew chapter 2. I love this picture. They fall down in worship, verse 11, and then what do they do? Immediately afterwards, they open up their treasures. See, all this stuff, Jesus, I've been carrying for so long, it's all yours. I'm not just giving myself, I'm giving all of my junk to you. And whatever I have, valuable or invaluable, I'm letting you use it. I'm letting you have it. All of my treasures. When I worship, maybe I should say it this way, whatever I worship... That worship sends a signal to my wallet. If I worship my wife, it sends a signal to my wallet. If I worship my kids, it sends a signal to my wallet. If I worship education, it sends a signal to my wallet. If I worship my house, if I worship my retirement, If I worship comfort, you see, whatever you worship, it sends a signal to your wallet to say, spend your money here. This is the most important thing. The same thing with Jesus. If he's the one you worship, it sends a signal. He says it himself, 621, for where your treasure, where your wallet is, there your worship will be also. You can always identify what you worship by following your wallet. That's really why very few people want to talk about money. Because it's such an easy trail to follow. So if we can't keep it hidden, nobody really knows what we worship. When you you follow the treasures of the wise men, it it comes to Jesus. When you follow their treasure, 
It terminates in Jesus. Third remarkable part of these men is really that, that how Matthew puts them in the story. You realize that every gospel writer is writing to a particular audience, and he frames the story from a little bit of a different perspective. Jew, Matthew was a Jewish man, and his target audience were Jewish people. And, and the very first worshipers in Matthew are unclean Gentile astrologers. That's amazing. I mean, we, we don't pick up on it. But here, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm Matthew, trying to help Jewish people understand, here is our king. And the very first people who fall down at his knees are the furthest people away from Jesus. The most unlikely candidates. He doesn't talk about angels like Luke. He doesn't talk about shepherds. The very first worshipers are these pagan people. So far away. And yet they're the ones that Matthew wants to highlight. Hey, the the door to the kingdom of heaven is wide open. Anybody can come in. And it's exactly what you see at the end of Matthew's gospel, do you not? The very beginning of of Matthew's gospel, anybody can come in. Anyone can be involved in this king, with this king and this kingdom. Matthew 28, go therefore to... All nations. He ends like he begins. The the offer is a serious business, but it's seriously wide open to anybody who would want to come. And it seems to me the people who are farthest away so often in Jesus' life are the most likely candidates. The second kind of person is one who worships They're entering through a narrow gate. They're building their lives on a rock, which will stand for eternity. Two ways to live, three kinds of people. The third kind of person, verse 4. Let's go back to verse 3. When Herod heard the king, when Herod the king heard this, meaning the wise men looking for the real king, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with with him and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes. These are the two groups of people who fall in the third category of those who ignore Jesus. And he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? So Herod's not a fool. He understands something's got to be written about this. And he gets the people who might be closest to, to the center of it. That the chief priests, the ones who lead the worship service, the the the, um, the scribes, the ones who study the word, he gets these two groups of people together and and they ask him, well, "Where is the one? Where is the Christ to be born?" And they they know right away. Micah five, Micah five tells us that the king is going to be born in Bethlehem, and then and then with the the scribes and the Pharisees, what happens next? Silence. Their inactivity is staggering. They're the ones who worship. They lead worship. They're the ones who tell people about the Bible. And their silence, their inactivity is staggering. 
They're religious, but they don't worship. They're religious, but they ignore Jesus. You have to, you have to realize that Matthew wants us to see something here. God wants to see us to see something. You can be very religious and not be a worshiper. You could be the person who preaches the Bible, who leads the singing, and not really worship. You do a lot of things, you know a lot of answers, but you really aren't falling at his feet. Instead, you ignore Jesus, and that's what they do. They don't even take the five-mile trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Five miles. Guys, I don't think these guys are right, but let's at least go see. It's only five miles away. We can be up and back in the same day. So their inactivity, their their lack of, of wanting to find out who Christ is, their ignoring who he is, is staggering in the story. If you grew up like I did in the 80s, there were a lot of sort of cult 80s movies made with sort of same type of characters, and one of the most popular ones called The Breakfast Club. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you saw it, because that would mean you're around 50 like I am. But it's kind of a cult classic, and a lot of you might have seen it. If you didn't, the illustration is fine. Five high school students stuck in Saturday detention. You remember the story? So they all have to come back very unwantingly to the high school for a Saturday detention. It's five different kinds of dysfunctional high school students, basically. And and for the whole movie, they unwind sort of their story, their prejudices, their emotional wounds, their concerns, their dislikes for the other people. And in one particular powerful scene in the movie, there's this dark sort of foreboding girl. She wears all black. She's just kind of closed. Her whole character is closed. And the jock in the movie gets frustrated at her and says, what's wrong with you? She just kind of has her head down. Is it bad? Is it really, really bad? Is it your parents? And she lifts her head and looks at him, and he knows something about with his parent or with her parents. And then he says, "What did they do to you?" And if you're just watching the movie for the first time, you're leaning in because this is going to be the, the the cracking of the nut, where you're going to find out why this girl operates the way she does, and you think it's just going to be something terrible, and it is. It's just not what you think. What did they do to you? And she responds with a very hushed whisper. They ignore me. It seems like we're in the same family, but we're not. It's just a superficial connection. Really, they ignore me. It's very possible that even the person preaching the Bible this morning could be that person. That you have a superficial connection. If I came to you and said, are you a Christian? You would say, yes, 
But God might be saying, but you ignore me. You, I mean, you say it, but you don't pay attention to me. You don't do anything that I, you're not going in any direction that I'm going. You're ignoring me. There's three kinds of people, but there's only two ways to live. And this person who is ignoring Jesus is on a wide road. It's accommodating a lot of religious people who are ignoring God. And those people are building their life on the sand. And the sad thing is they think they're building their life on Jesus, and they're not. They're ignoring Jesus. The one piece I didn't read from chapter 7, remember the people come to Jesus? Lord, Lord, we did all these things. What does he say? Yeah, I didn't know you. Could have been said, you know, you ignored me. See, I can't tell that. And you can't tell that with me because it looks like he's got the right answers. He, he raises his hands during the worship time. He says things, but really when he gets home or she gets home, I'm not their master. They ignore me. They functionally act like atheists because they just have their lives without some little a superficial string around it, their lives are just oriented around themselves. See, when Jesus gets to the end of the sermon, he wants everybody to wake up. It's, it's serious business about the kingdom of heaven. There's only two ways to live. There's only two gates to go through. There's only two foundations on which you can put your house on. And he wants everybody right at the beginning of my ministry, to, of his ministry to say, which road are you on? Which gate are you going through? Which kind of fruit is coming out of your life? Which foundation do you have your life on? And in Matthew 2, he wants to ask us, which person are you? What kind of person are you? You still trying to live as king? You worshiping wherever Jesus goes. It may not be what I would choose. He's got a better view in mind. I'm just going his way. No matter what he says in his word that's opposite of how I feel, I'm going in his direction. That's a worshiper. Or, you know the right answers. You can lead people in worship. But it's just a veneer. It's a superficial connection. And really, you're ignoring. Christmas offers an opportunity to, to reevaluate. Take a sober assessment of, of which one of these people you might be. Which road are you on? Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we're so... Grateful for grace and truth. That the worst kinds of people can get into the kingdom of heaven. Not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, 
they've done, but because of you, because of your grace. But I'm so um, concerned uh, about my own soul and certainly everyone here in this room that, that we, we might bound up to the last day when we meet you face to face and you go, you know, I didn't know who you were because you ignored me. May, may that not happen. So, so you speak clearly to every heart is my prayer. So they would know. They would know how to s- see themselves as you see them. And give them the courage, the power to move in a different direction. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song. song. Oh, sovereign God, oh, matchless King, the saints adore, the angels sing, and fall before the thrones of grace. To you belong the highest praise. These sufferings, this passing tide, under your wings I will abide. And every enemy shall flee. You are my hope and victory. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, clothed in power and in grace. The name above all other the valley for my soul, thy great descent has made me whole, your word my heart has welcomed home, now peace like water ever flows, oh praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit.